0: Hi, it's Phil here I'm talking again with Leanne Wilson who began her career as a Dilaro and Rushida, ended up as a senior bureaucrat, worked with the Australian Red Cross. She has received the Queensland Premier's Reconciliation Award. She was a non-government delegate to join the Australian Government Delegation to the 61st Commission on the Status of Women held in New York and in 2019 was recognised by the Financial Review as one of the top 100 women of influence in Australia. I'm so honoured to have the chance to learn from her. Let's go. Leanne, thanks so much for joining me again. It's a pleasure, really.
1: Oh, thank you, Phil. Look, it's it's an absolute pleasure from my point of view too. I really look forward to our conversations.
0: Excellent. Thank you, my friend. One of the things that you've been commissioned to do recently by the Queensland government is to put together its healing strategy. Can you tell us what's a healing strategy and why do we need one?
1: Yeah, sure, Phil. Um, Look, I um, am doing this work on behalf of the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Healing Foundation, of which I am the Deputy Chair of the Foundation nationally as well. The healing strategy has come about because of the Queensland Government's recognition that our children in out-of-home care is on the increase and in fact is, is at its highest levels ever. And so the government is recognising that, um, you know, we need to be doing things differently. And the healing strategy is about engaging with First Nations peoples around what a good strategy would look like that enables people to heal and, you know, and uh, keep our children out of home care and and in their own care. Uh, So basically that's um, what the healing strategy is about.
0: Why do people need to heal?
1: Well, I guess, um, and that's a really great question and a question that we get all the time. What, you know, we as First Nation people are healing from are the atrocities of living under, a, you know, a pieces of legislation that have been deficit by design and, and really designed to keep First Nation people um, um, I guess, down in a sense. And so the pieces of legislation have not allowed Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people's voices to be heard in a way that gives us an opportunity to design our own future.
0: So there's some pretty bad stuff that's happened in the past. I mean, pretty bad is an understatement, really, some just thoroughly dreadful stuff. I mean, we, we know that uh, in most parts of Australia, there were informal strategies to eradicate Aboriginal Australians, and there were all sorts of atrocities and massacres committed mm. on small and large scales. We also know that at official level, less than a century ago, we, we had a, an official policy of assimilation which, in our context, meant to breed out Aboriginal Australians, so that you know that they were viewed as an, as an inferior race that was doomed and was going to disappear so let's let's accelerate that and then of course there's all the disease that europeans brought to australia which wiped out probably even more than all of that put together Hmm. how do we help folk to understand how first nations people how aboriginal australians carry that hurt with them
1: Look, Phil, one of the um, ways that, um, you know, we are actually currently doing this is through a series of truth-telling opportunities. And, you know, no surprise that um, in Queensland, because this is where I'm doing a lot of the work, um, when you present truth-telling in a way that is not actually about blaming anybody but it's actually about sharing the truth about our country... Um, then people are amazed and angry most of the time that they actually didn't know um, this history, um, our collective history, um, about Australia and the pieces of legislation that have been designed specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And you're right, Phil, you know, some of these pieces of legislation have been designed to one, breed us out, as you've said, or get rid of us, and it's all predicated on the notion that uh, around Terra Nullius, that you know, here, here is a land for the taking. There is no civilization here, and so from the very start of colonization, uh, we see a, a flawed perspective um, that uh, that Queensland or Australia has been built upon.
0: So, how do we help people to lift the scales from their eyes? How do we help people? to recognise the things that have happened?
1: Well, I think that, you know, it's a very difficult thing to um, be able to do. But, um, you know, the first is actually about um, having opportunities to expose this truth. And so, you know, the statement from the heart is is one way that, um, you know, we can engage in this. Another is just through, you know, what we see happening around the world now, and that is to actually start to peel back the layers of what really is happening. I mean, start to ask questions about, you know, why is it that First Nation people around the world are rising up? And, you know, already we're seeing a whole number, you know, huge numbers of non-Indigenous people around the world starting to understand that, um, not just understand, but also uh, realising that they have not known the truth either because they've done their own research into you know, what is the truth. But also, um, there are more and more, you know, institutions or or, um, places or or spaces where Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been given the opportunity to speak their own truth. And so that hasn't necessarily happened before. And so I think people are smart. And they, what I'm seeing is that they're actually asking those questions themselves. So, you know, I try and stay optimistic that people will search out the truth. And while it's taking a bit longer than, you know, what, what we would like, I still think that people at their very essence are good human beings. And, you know, and I hold on to that, I guess, in a sense.
0: So if, if we believe that people are good human beings, part of the challenge that we have is that what is presented to us particularly through media, Hmm. which needs something salacious and it needs something hot and something controversial. Media doesn't present anybody at its best. Media presents conflict and it, it, it presents people behaving poorly in opposition to each other, as far as I can tell. How do we help people not to assume that those are the bits that we should be focusing on when our, when our attention is being drawn inexorably towards the fight rather than the getting together, the yarning up, the attempts to listen?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, the, the opportunity that you, you have created is, is a really great example of what we can do um, through um, collectivism. So what you've done is created a space um, in order to have this conversation. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, there are opportunities to create a number of spaces and places um, around Australia uh, to have these sorts of conversations. Um, invite people into a space that is actually about having a conversation that is about truth-telling. It's not about blame, but it certainly is. Truth-telling is such an important situation because unless we understand the truth, we will continue with these systemic challenges that uh, we see ourselves immersed in. And when I talk about that, I, I refer to the pieces of legislation or the policy settings in which we have become accustomed to, you know, for the last 230 years. Now, some of those pieces of legislation and policy have been designed a long time ago, and so they haven't kept up with current situations. And nor have they um, enabled Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to have a voice in the ways that we want to have a voice in designing our own futures and collaborating uh, with the rest of Australia.
0: So I'm, I'm hearing a lot here about having a voice. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning about that. I'm learning about telling the truth and that that makes a whole bunch of sense around that. I can remember being a young law student at the University of Sydney when uh, the Mabo decision was mm. released. And, and that sense of uh, excitement, really, that we had a way in and around how to recognise the existence of Aboriginal Australia in a legal sense, but also in a historical sense of righting a wrong of providing legal standing for Aboriginal law and land ownership. I want to talk about place if I can, because place is a really challenging thing uh, for non-Indigenous Australians to understand how to deal with place. Because the simple truth of Australian history is that a bunch of people came over here and took land, took place that had significant meaning, from the people who were living here beforehand, who had their own culture, history, traditions, laws, legal systems, and so on, then committed atrocities against the people to ensure that they could keep that place. And then on the foundations of that has emerged one of the most successful multicultural expressions of humanity in the world. And yet we've got this truth, don't we? And this truth, a lot of it is linked to place. How do we help people to understand how to share place and mm. when to yield place and when not to yield place because the simple reality is that despite the truth of australian history not all of that land is going to be given back ever so how do we deal with that
1: and look i don't think it is actually uh, you know it's not always about giving the land back i mean if i think about my own land i i recognize that i'm a custodian of that land i have certain rights and responsibilities to that and so um, when I talk about a sense of place um, then I, I think about it in a collaborative construct I guess in a sense so that what it you know what are, are our rights and responsibilities to place but I'm also challenged by that as well because I know that my sense of that is not the same sense of place that a, you know, that a mining company would, would have and Rio Tinto is a casing example of what's just occurred recently. Um, and so you know, I've no doubt that they understood or they knew about, not necessarily understood, but they knew about that place but still they chose to um, take a different tack there. So you know, I'm not naive um, to think that everything's going to be kosher but what I think I would like to see is, is more collaboration around um, this sense of space and place that allows us to jointly figure out what is the best way forward that allows you know, us all to enjoy this place that we have. So I don't think there is a right or a wrong answer here um, or it's that simplistic either because collaboration isn't simplistic. Um, It's complex on many levels.
0: So then how do we educate all Australians towards this notion of collaboration together? Because we've only just started really, probably only over the last, well, certainly only over the last 25 years that we've started to educate school children about conflict, about dispossession, about negativity. And it's a crowded curriculum. So by and large most of the stories that are told are about the dark mm-hmm. side of things and some folk can deal with that and well and other folk can't deal with that well, but how do we get over to the other side as well? Dark and light coexist, so you can't do yeah. one or the other, but how, how do we teach folk about collaboration? How do we teach folk about sharing place?
1: Well, I think, um, uh, you know, another uh, challenging uh, c- question, but teaching people about place comes through this notion of truth-telling that, you know, we've been talking about. And so truth-telling, it, it, from my perspective, is about the, you know, connecting with the head and the heart. A great way to be able to do this is purely to, you know, simply to look at Australia's history in, in relation to the legislation. And, you know, we think that, um, you know, our legislative history, oh uh, that's something that happened way back, you know, um, 100 years ago or 200 years ago. But in fact, the history, the legislative history that affects us as First Nation people is in my lifetime, is, is, is in my children's lifetime. And, and still it impacts those young children today that have been taken away from home. And so to get a sense of um, the truth when it comes to the facts of the legislation cannot be unseen. And it really does challenge people to look at things differently moving forward. And so that's why we as First Nation people, you know, spend a lot of time talking about truth telling and helping people to understand the truth of our history uh, in Australia.
0: So it sounds to me as though there's a, the truth telling involves a a journey into a really dark part of Australia's soul, but then it's got to be also about a way out to the light again
1: oh absolutely i mean you know it's it's that old notion you have got to look back in order to move forward um you know it's, it's like bogging a bogging a truck the easiest way to get out is to back up a bit and then move forward um quickly so you know i think about it in that way as well that you've got to look back to know actually what 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 it is that that you know is offensive or that what truth telling is about it's about all of that and so in order to move forward, you've got to know the truth um, so you know what you're moving away from and, and what you're moving towards. And I think for me, um, you know, part of my own healing journey is to uh, actually appreciate what actually has occurred in my lifetime and um, prior to my lifetime um, to actually help me to heal and I'm not sure that I'll be totally healed in my lifetime, but I'm in a much better place than I was even 10 years ago, you know. So this notion of, of healing is not just for me as a First Nation person, but, but it's also for us as a, as a you know, collective hum, uh, humans who are occupying Australia at this point in time.
0: So again, in, in our conversation, it comes back to not just the differences between us, but the similarities that we share as, as human beings. I have two two questions for you before we go. Is healing just for a large you know, organisation like a state or a country? Should individual schools be thinking about having a healing strategy?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the, the healing strategy is like the first step because it's actually teaching about what we're, you know, what Australia's history has been. And what are we gonna do collectively that enables us all to move forward? And part of that moving forward is, you know, uh, allowing people to heal. And I must say that, you know, I've been doing a whole heap of um, healing work or truth telling work over the past three years with the Queensland government. And at no time has anybody walked out of a session because it's been finger pointing or or blaming. In fact, people have um, been disturbed by the fact that they didn't know the truth. Um, And why didn't they know it? And now what can we do collectively to move forward? I know it is possible to move forward. And I think a healing strategy um, in a school is uh, absolutely fundamental to help with understanding and to help with moving forward.
0: That's, re- that's really, really helpful to know. I, I, as I said, I've got, I've got one more big question. Let me put it like this. Um, I'm a little uncertain as to how to phrase this question. But I'm that's I'm right. I'm, I'm going to give it a crack anyway. My sense within education is that there are people who hold all sorts of different views about First Nations people, about Indigenous folk, about Aboriginal Australia, about our history and so on. Some of those views I disagree with and then there's others that are fairly close to that which I believe. My sense in education is that there are many, many more people who would be listening to you right now and nodding their heads rather than shaking their heads. Hmm. So in other words, I think that there is a significant current of goodwill towards trying to get something done that's constructive, which is coupled with an extreme awkwardness about not knowing what to say or do or think part of that through a lack of experience and role modeling, because teachers love a model you've got to give yeah. them a model to start with. And then they'll, they'll take that model and iterate from there. They're not so comfortable deriving from first principle. Usually I think also that people can, that the awkwardness can come about because quite often they are confronted with the anger and the hurt that Aboriginal people feel. Hmm. and we're chalkies, we, as you know. We're, we're no good at conflict, and if, when we're confronted hmm. by that anger and the hurt, we don't know how to find a way through that. So you can find people who retreat from that and just kind of don't know what to do. There are plenty of people who are doing great work out there, but there are, I'm sure, I'm, I'm confident around that. What advice... Do you have for educators about getting rid of the awkward, about about taking the steps that are necessary to bring about the sort of healing processes that you're talking about?
1: I think it's fine to be awkward. It's probably a good place to be actually because it actually talks about your own vulnerability in this space, um, which then means that you probably need a, you know a critical friend or a partner um, to a- actually help to um, design the way forward and so you know what we've been saying as First Nation people just involve us in the process Uh, so it could be as simple as um, you know understanding you know who are the key people in the in the community in which you are working Um, do some research just a desktop at the start just to see who's around um, and then um, or reach out to you know other colleagues or friends that could actually help to um, set up these conversations that allow you to get started uh, as well. But look, if you are feeling um, uncomfortable, don't start the journey by yourself because, uh, look, it can be tricky. People are at different places in their own healing journey and so so you can appreciate that not everybody's going to be in a position to be able to be your partner. at at, you know at some point in time because they're going on their own healing journey and that's okay too but there will be others out there that will be you know will be will reach in and and want to help in this space as well so I think you just have to have a go because um, you know I get uncomfortable most days as well but um, you know at the same time I don't want that to cripple me as either uh, either and I know I've got a few mates out there that I can call on and to sort of support me and to help me you know, take that next step uh, as well.
0: Oh, there's so much there. I really appreciate <laughs> your wisdom. Thank you for being vulnerable about it. I felt awkward ask, asking the question. I think you felt a little awkward answering it. But, that's, uh, you know, it's just the way it is, isn't it? It's just, you, you just... I think
1: that's the beauty of, of our relationship is that um, we can be vulnerable with each other because sometimes there is no simple answer here. And we got to we we got to figure our way through it, you know. And and um, you know, you and I didn't know each other at the start, but I mean, look at us now. I think you know that that's the beauty about vulnerability is that it, it you know we have opportunity to build on that and to and to strengthen it into us, you know, into a friendship that we've got now. So don't shy away from it, is what I say.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you hear.